And I, I literally was paralyzed for about two to two and a half years where I didn't know what to do and I was questioning everything. Hi there, thank you for joining us today again. My name is Jordi Mueller and this is The Entrepreneur's Wallet. Our guest today has had quite the life. Jason Friedman is really one of a kind person. Yes, he's a successful entrepreneur, and yes, he follows his passion, but behind the obvious public persona, Jason has had to experience an amazing journey to where he is today. He faced success in a way that many of our listeners are going to find a little annoying. He was successful too fast, and this is coming from him, not from us. He was very, very good at what he did, became known within his niche, and suddenly he was successful. Uh, for everyone not aware of Jason's background, um, he was the person responsible for how concerts make you feel. And um, yes, I'm talking concerts, uh, the overall experience of people attending concerts. And this is not just for small bands. He was actually engaged with really big bands that you will hear during the interview. He was a groupie to a level, but with knowledge beyond his years at the time of it. Um, in our conversation, we dogged in his personal struggles after selling his company, he shared experiences from the dark days after selling and having nothing to do that, as he describes, pushed him to the edge of thinking of suicide, to finding his passion again by teaching other leaders about the amazing power that creating an experience has for the clients and customers. I encourage all of you to listen to the entire conversation. It is full of turns and very vulnerable moments. So without any further ado, we bring to you Jason Friedman. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Thank you for joining us this morning. Great, Jordy. Thanks for having me. No, um, I, I, I have to say for, for everybody listening right now, the, the way I got to meet Jason was through an EO Entrepreneur event. He was the, the guest speaker for that day. I actually had not know anything about Jason before going to this event at Tesla. And a lot of people in the room were excited about just going to Tesla, right? Uh, because of their experience, uh, the, the experience that they have created for customers. And then I found out that that was actually completely the idea behind having you <laughs> presenting at Tesla. Um, Jason uh, focuses on customer experience and creating an amazing experience for clients. So companies can enhance their sales. So uh, that definitely was my experience that day. I met you and I realized this is completely engineer. There's people like Jason out there <laughs> <laughs> that really spend time thinking about this. Uh, so so I, I learned a lot. So that, that's how I actually met Jason. Um, uh, first of all, I wanted to start this podcast by, by saying you had a really different background compared to other entrepreneurs. Um, you were a roadie. <laughs> Uh, yes, in, in, a, in the good uh, sense of the way, you actually were part of productions of concerts and, uh, and musicals in Broadway. But were you in that industry interested in that industry since you were a kid? Yeah, you know, my, um, my background started out in theater when I was eight years old. So um, it's, a, it's a long, sorted story, but basically I was at a summer camp that had a theater program, and my, uh, a good friend of mine went to audition for the show, and he was nervous, you know, to get on stage and sing, so he asked me to come with him. And while he was in line waiting to, you know, to audition and do his thing, I was sitting in the back waiting for him, and I saw a guy that was working on building the sets 
for the show and I kind of got sucked in. So I started helping him. And next thing I knew I was coming back day after day. My friend got into the show and I was on the stage crew as it were. <laughs> and, uh, I learned, uh, over the years, I, I kept going back to that camp and, uh, eventually became the counselor in charge of the, the theater stuff. So I was doing the sets and the lights and the sound and the props and all that kind of stuff and kind of fell in love with, um, bringing stories to life for an audience. It's, um, it's kind of fun. You know, I'm sure many people listening to this probably have uh, dabbled in theater in some way and shape and form in their life, whether it's now as an entrepreneur presenting uh, in front of audiences or even doing some local theater or with their kids or something. And it's kind of fun. It's For me, it was always intoxicating to, to get into the story and to make it come to life and to try and portray that story in multiple dimensions and really have audiences forget about everything that's going on in their life, <clears throat> excuse me, everything that's going on in their life uh, when they come into the theater and really get sucked into the story and go on a ride, go on this kind of emotional journey and, and leave transformed in some way. So, so for me, it was, it was from the very beginning, uh, for as long as I can remember that I loved theater. Yeah. So it, I, I, again, I, I repeat this because it was, it, it definitely marked me like you were kind of meant to do this. You, uh, <laughs> a lot of people, uh, stumble into their professions. You you seem to have a path, <laughs> and 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 kind of like work your way through it. Now I have to say, when I first time the first time I heard the term engineering emotions, <laughs> I was a little scared about it. And then uh, as soon as I start listening to your presentation, and then uh, I, I read a lot of the blogs that you have on your website. I even watched that sure. video when you committed to accountability for a video for I don't know how many days, <laughs> but I don't know if you actually did it, because um, there's only one video posted, so you, you'll have to tell me that no, later. No, you haven't been back, my friend. you got to go back. I there's, there's a take two on that first video. So I did a video called the, you know, the power of accountability, uh, on June 12th, 2016. Yeah. And, and I, I was going to do a 30 day, uh, publish a video a day for 30 days. And I did the first one and then I stopped and <laughs> there was a lot of reasons why, but then, uh, just recently on December 1st, 2017, almost a year and a half later, I, I, I did the power of accountability take two, and then I did a full series of videos. So definitely go check that out. There's some good, uh, good ones there. Oh man. I, 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 I guess I just didn't check the last one. So I was looking to, to see your background. Uh, I'll, I'll check it out. Yeah. After yeah. This. It's, it's new. They, they were, it's from uh, December 1st to December 30th. I did them. So yeah, definitely check them out. Awesome. So, um, just to get like uh, jump started in, in what we try to focus in this podcast and, and, and what we like to hear a lot is the emotional side of making financial decisions through the life of entrepreneurs. And there tends to be a very unique story of everybody growing up. Do you mind sharing a little bit of your surrounding and the relationship that you had with money? How do you, how did you see wealth? Your just, just, just your upbringings. Sure. Um, you know, growing up, um, I definitely grew up in uh, like a middle-class family and um i really didn't have a whole lot of struggles with money um although i realized somewhere in my first or second year of college that we actually didn't have as much money as i thought we did and my parents did a lot of things to kind of hide that from us and we never you know my brother and i have a I have a younger brother my brother and i never kind of did without but my parents made tons and tons of sacrifices and really kind of kept us uh, isolated from that that lack of money situation uh so you know i i didn't really know 
the true reality of that. But from the time I was 13 years old, maybe even a little bit before that kind of unofficially, but I, I, I got my working papers and started working as a student um, in part-time jobs and stuff. I always wanted, I was more of an independent uh, person. I always wanted to be able to do things and, and not have to say no to things. Hmm. And, and that's kind of my same philosophy now. Like, you know, I, there was a time where I had a number in mind that I wanted to get to. That was like the magic number for me where once I hit that, I was going to be good forever. Um, but then as I, grew up a little bit past that, um, my, my goal was to never have to say no to the people I love or to the things I want to be able to do. And so wealth for me was about being able to have the freedom to say yes to what I wanted to say yes to and for who I wanted to say yes to help. Do you remember, so, uh, there's another podcast, another episode or blog that you talk about having the initial inertia and, and how that's the hardest part. To have the initial inertia yeah. and to start, do you remember that moment for you when you actually start saying, okay, I need to start making money because I don't want to say no? Yes. When I was uh, 13, which is when I started that okay. job, um, <laughs> I, so, uh, I, I, I often had friends when I was younger that were older than me, uh, not much older, but a couple years older than me. And I remember uh, this one guy, his name was Jason. Uh, as well, ironically, but he had a moped. He was 15, I was 13, and he had a moped, uh, <laughs> as funny as that sounds. But but what a moped was, was freedom. He could go where he wanted to go. He didn't have to wait for a ride or there was no map. I grew up in the suburbs in central Jersey. There was no, uh, like, you know, transportation. So if you wanted to go someplace, you needed someone to drive you. There was, yeah. there was nowhere to, way to get around. And he got around. And that freedom to uh, to just be able to go where he wanted to go, I mean, obviously he had to check with his parents and stuff at that age, but just to have that level of freedom was uh, was something I, I, I could taste, like I needed that. And so I started working so I could save up money to buy my own moped. Hmm. Um, and that literally was what the catalyst was for me at that time. I remember like it was yesterday. It was a, it was a real for me that I wanted to have that. And, and I, I saved up enough money by the time I was 14, I had bought the moped and had it ready for me. When I turned 15, I like literally like, within a day or two of my birthday, went and got my, my moped license. As <laughs> crazy as that sounds. What like, color but to me, it, it was a Moda Marina Sebring. It looked kind of like a motorcycle, even though it was a moped. It was black with gold stripes on the side. <laughs> it was, it was, you know, it was the Holy Grail for me at the time. And, um, and then the second that I, I got to that goal, even before I, I had purchased it, I started saving up money for my car. Cause when I was, you know, in New Jersey, you get your driver's license at 17, but you get your permit to start learning at 16. And so I wanted to have a car and my parents weren't going to buy me one. So I, you know, immediately started saving money for a car. And for me, the whole entrepreneurial journey really is about freedom. It's not about money. It's it's about freedom and and impact and being able to help others and solve problems and and create freedom. You know, so uh, I've always been of that mindset for as long as I can remember. Yeah. So I was gonna say, um, I know in 2008 your life changed. Like we'll we'll get to 2008 in a little bit. And uh, sure. And if I'm wrong, tell me, maybe it didn't change anything on you. But, but if I remember correctly from the talk, it, uh, there was some emotional aspects that we'll, we'll, we'll definitely want to address. But sure. it seems that the drive, at least from this conversation, was to be able to do what I want without having to be restricted. And at the same time, you didn't feel restricted by your parents when you were growing up. 
Well, at least you didn't. No, no. I didn't. Um, I saw other members of my family and, and friends and stuff not being able to have things. And to me, I always was willing to work for those things. It was just... I don't. I don't think I ever thought like oh, I don't want to have a job. It's, you know. Um, you know. I, I'm. I'm a. I'm a worker. I'm a. I'm someone that wants to create value and wants to be busy and wants to do stuff. So um, it's what? always been that. Um, it's, it's, I know you start going on the roads. You start becoming. Um a little bit of the D guy, the person in charge of like lighting designer, like being the go-to person for a lot of artists. Um, when did you decide, you know what? I don't have to work for anybody else. I can do this on my own. And you became an entrepreneur. <laughs> did, did you remember that? I do. I do. Um, so, you know, I, I was always, uh, I would say entrepreneurial. Okay. Right? And I think there's a difference between being entrepreneurial and being an entrepreneur. Yes. Um, subtle, but I think there's a difference. And so I was always entrepreneurial and I was always a bit of an entrepreneur. I, I started a little uh, landscaping and snow shoveling business when I was in my teens. I had a, a business or two that I ran in college um, out of my dorm room and then out of my, my apartment subsequently. Um, but when I got out of school, um, as you know, I, I started touring with rock and roll groups, uh, doing lighting for them and then went on to some more legitimate Broadway style theater shows, you know, more like sit down in the city for a week versus going night after night to a different city. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got bored. I mean, I love theater. I love storytelling. I love the, the opening night and the, 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 the adrenaline rush that comes from that. But the monotony of doing the same show night after night after night for me was very difficult. Like I couldn't, I couldn't sustain being out there. I was, I, I became kind of depressed and unhappy after I figured out the show and we got it nailed and we, we were doing it consistently. I was ready to move on to the next one. And that's kind of why at an early age, I did a bunch of different shows <clears throat> because I would get myself up to speed. I would figure everything out, get it to be a well-oiled machine. And then I would move on to the next show. Yeah. And after my, uh, I was on uh, man of La Mancha with Robert Coulet traveling around. And, um, that one was like the last show I did. And I, I was on it for maybe two months, not even, and I got it all worked out and an opportunity came in to go out and work with a company. They recruited me to go help them build this kind of new experiential destination in Reno, Nevada. Hmm. And so, um, when I was on the road, I was making a lot of money. I mean, I was in my early twenties, very early twenties and I was generating, uh, well over six figures and I had no expenses. I was literally living on the road. I had no expenses. I was just putting money in my bank account. And, um, and so they offered me this job and it was at a ridiculously low pay for compared to what I was making anyway. And, um, so I took like a 65% pay cut to go and do this project. because I thought it would be cool. And, you know, money at that point wasn't so important to me, um, as much as doing something different and unique. And, and they, they offered me this job to be the, the lead on this project. So I'd be in charge of the project. I'd, I'd have a lot of autonomy and, um, seemed like a really cool project, but the deal that I made with them was like, look, if you're going to pay me a third of what I'm used to making, I need some upside. And so the deal that we struck was that I would get a, uh, a percentage of all the profit that we made beyond the projected uh, profit. So if we were going to make a million dollars, then anything above a million, I would get 10% of. So that was the deal that we made. Hmm. And the project took uh, just about a year, a little less. And at the end of that, we made significantly more 
money. Uh, we made a million dollars more than we were supposed to. And it was because of the way I ran the project. We were more profitable. I was able to upsell the client into some other um, elements that they wanted. And, yeah. and I really managed the project as well as I possibly could have, in my opinion. And so they owed, we, they owed me $100,000. And I remember I got back from Reno. I was in the owner of the company's office and I was going over the, the, the final recap of the project with them and showing them what we did and was super proud. The client was like raving about how great it was. I mean, everybody was happy. And he looked at me and he said, well, you're 23 years old. You don't need a hundred thousand dollars. I'm not going to give you that. And I was like, what? I'm like, that's, I mean, I just gave it a year of my life to, to, to make that money. That's why I took this job. That's why we agreed on this. We, we had a deal. And he's like, look, he's like, I have to pay taxes on that money. It's not a straight hundred thousand. There's other expenses. There's other overhead of the business. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous. We're, that's not going to happen. And I was floored. I was shocked and angry and hurt. And I just, uh, I, I, I left his office nicely. I said, okay, well, um, let me know what your plan is. And I left. And <laughs> As nice and as I you could leave, back. right? <laughs> I, I mean, I was literally, I, I was shocked. Like, I was in shock. I had no, I, I couldn't even, I'd never fathomed this day happening, right? I just, it wasn't in, wasn't something I even considered. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I mean, listen, I was very young, but I'm usually pretty good at coming up with all the things that could go wrong. I think that's what I was good as a project manager back then. And even good as a roadie, like you, you anticipate potential problems and you, you overcome those ob objections or those obstacles before they happen. That's part of like what you learn in theater, the show must go on. So I, I was always pretty good at that. I just didn't see this one coming. It hit me like a ton of bricks. And so uh, a few days later, a week later, whatever it was, um, he called me back in his office and he offered me $30,000. Um, and so I thanked him. I took the money. And then within a few weeks, I resigned and I started my own business. Hmm. And it was at that moment that I realized that I didn't have the freedom and I didn't have as, as much as like I was living in Reno by myself. I had an office that I set up. I hired some local people to work with us. And um, I had a lot of autonomy. I kind of felt like it was my own thing. And I literally ran the project for the most part by myself. There wasn't anybody else. Um, now, granted, they, they got the project. They sold it. But I, I didn't really consider that so much at the time. <laughs> I was just like, like I, why am I going to do this for other people and make them? I made them $2 million in profit. And I got 30 grand plus, you know, a small salary. So, and I was like, this is crazy. So let's talk about that moment in, uh, for a second. So every a lot of people go through that stage of like, I can do this myself better than they quit. And then something happens. Now they, they are the ones in charge. What was mm -hmm. the biggest surprise you found of being in charge compared to being told what to say, what to do? When I started my own business? Yeah. The first one. Well, the first challenge was I had to get clients. <laughs> Have you ever and got a client before? I didn't before? know how to do that. Never. Well, no, I've only sold myself to get jobs, right? But I've never sold a client, brought a client in on my own. Okay. So that was kind of a wake-up call. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, it's so funny. That's the answer we hear all the time. <laughs> yeah, or, and or most think, of the time. You know, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, because, like, I was not, I was thinking about doing the work. I could do the work. I didn't think about winning the business, right? Yeah. So that was, that was definitely a big thing. And I had this preconceived notion in my head that sales was a four-letter word. It was like a bad thing. Only slimy, sleazy people sell. Hmm. So there, I had this um, perception of what sales was at the time that did not jive with who I was or who I wanted to be. 
And so I struggled with that for, for a while. How did you figure out experience was, was, was what was going to keep clients around and bring them to you? Um, purely accidentally. Um, it actually took somebody else explaining to me what I did different than other people for me hmm. to figure it out. Okay. Um, I, I was not at all aware of it. it you know, you, I, I, you mentioned earlier, like, you know, you, I had a path. Uh, I would argue that I didn't really have a path. I just had a through line of what I did, but okay. I didn't have a plan per se. So, um, that's what I meant, I guess. Like at least you, yeah, you were in the right direction, yeah. but not in the right path. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really have a strategy or anything um, uh, until I would say much later in my uh, evolution, as it were. But, so, um, so let's talk about what, that. What, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. I said I was going to say let's talk about that first company. I mean, uh, you started it. You were young. I'm assuming you were 24 mm -hmm. years old. Uh, mm -hmm. Then you start also to hire people, and you start going through making some budget decisions, some money decisions. Um, did the perception of money change at all at that moment in time in your life? Not, not right at that moment, but shortly thereafter. So, you know, I was used to running budgets as a, as a head lighting person. I had a budget for my department. I had to get everything done with labor and, yeah. and equipment and whatever. I was always in theater. It's always about budget. We have a budget to do a show and we have to figure out how to do it. So that was a a little second nature to me. Not that I was great at it per se. I would think I was pretty good at it. And running that big project, I got really good at it. I got really, I sharpened my, my pencil. I sharpened my, my skills to really understand how to make the most out of it. Hmm. And I also, um, yeah. So anyway, I, I think that that was a big piece of it, but what happened was, you know, I, I had some contacts. I had done a lot of good work for people and I got a call about a project kind of accidentally. This wasn't me out selling. This was like just kind of happy accident that I got a phone call from someone saying that, you know, they had been invited in by Foot Locker to help them create a store of the future concept hmm. and that there was a lot of tech and a lot of equipment and all this kind of theatrical stuff that they wanted to put in the store and make it this wow experience for people. And he was looking for me to go in and partner with him and, and one or two other people to kind of make this store come to reality. So we partnered up on this project. Um, And we, we, the project was incredibly successful. We built this kind of store of the future up in uh, Massachusetts for Foot Locker. And it generated massive uh, results for Foot Locker. You know, we had a 400% increase in same-store sales. But wow. it was by strategically looking at who the customers were, telling a, quote, theatrical story, connecting them to the brand, engaging the hearts and minds of the customers when they were in store. Hmm. And... Um, and going through that process that we do when we're staging shows, when we're creating theatrical experiences. And so it was so successful that they asked us to do a couple more pilots just to test the concept out. We did that. We had a very similar result in every store that we did for the pilots. And then um, <clears throat> the client, Foot Locker, came to me and said, essentially, well, essentially, I got, I got ousted by the partners. They were like, look, you can work for us, but we're not going to make you a partner. And the same thing happened to me a second time <laughs> that kind of happened to me the first time. And I was like, you know what? Fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice. You know, it's like, this, it's crazy. And so at that point, I was like, look, if you want me to work on this project with you, that's fine. But I'm going to work through my company. And here's my company name, here's my business card, and this is how you can hire me. <laughs> and they, they chose 
to not hire me, the client found out that I was not going to be involved in the project. And the client called me directly and asked me to run their project. Oh, wow. And, and so um, I, within a matter of, oh gosh, like a week, I had a contract to roll out several hundred locations of this new concept and I needed a team and I needed people. <laughs> and so wow. it was like, I had a contract. It, I, I don't want to say it fell on my lap because I, I worked my butt off to, to, yeah. to make that happen. But, you know, it, it happened accidentally um, through just doing great work and being focused and being committed to the, to the outcome, to the client experience. I mean, I was, I was always that person that was there for the client when they needed me. I anticipated their needs. I anticipated their challenges and was just there for them in full service of them. And they appreciated that. And so I had to hire a, a team of people. I had a contract in hand and I did. <laughs> the rest is kind of history. Yeah, so. the, the good thing is, um, I, I mean, I, I guess the amazing thing about this is you are in a service industry at the end of the day. And by the way, I love that you always come with the the, the same questions, like what business are you in? Uh, that is mm -hmm. that is a key question, and, and hopefully we get to talk to talk that, about that in, in a little bit. But being a service oriented. Uh, industry where you you don't have to actually manufacture something, you know, uh, mm -hmm. yourself. It allow you to have that contract right away and start the business right away. Now, tell me about your personal side. Uh, were you married at this point in time? No, I was. Uh, I was not married. I got married in two thousand, so this was like ninety seven, ninety eight. Okay, okay. So all decisions financially was all, all only done through you, and uh, and maybe I don't know, maybe advice from your parents or 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 do you no, have any friends? I mean, I would say that all my financial decisions at that point were were on my own. Man. Well, you did good. <laughs> Congrats. You did okay. Yeah, you, did okay. You, you did okay. So um, I want to jump through a few years later, I guess uh, 10 years later, and uh, talk about mm -hmm. 2008. In 2008, um, Jason sold his first company. So you sold your first company. Um, True. I, I know it went well. <laughs> but It did okay, yeah. Tell me what happened the day after. Well, are you okay if I start two years before and tell you why I sold my company? Uh, you can, uh, absolutely. Can I start there? Because I think that's, that's the real, the the real issue. Like, I, I was not planning to sell my company. Okay. Um, we were growing too fast. So that sounds like a high-class problem, but <laughs> it's a dangerous problem. Um, we were growing so rapidly. We were focused and committed to growth. And one of the things I do with entrepreneurs today is I help them grow their businesses exponentially. Uh, but at the time, I did it in a in an unsafe way. We were growing so rapidly that we were and we were profitable, but we were sucking up all of our cash into the to support the growth. And so I was at a conference in Dallas, Texas, and it was an Inc. Uh, an Inc. Magazine growth conference, and there was a speaker talking about how he grew himself into bankruptcy. And that concept never crossed my mind that you could grow too much or too fast or, or run out of cash because we were super profitable. And what I, I was sitting in the front row uh, of the, of the uh, little breakout session, and I remember feeling this like this, uh, my stomach, I just felt like it dropped and I was feeling nauseous and I was getting chills and I, I started sweating and I'm not exaggerating. Like I got physically ill listening to this guy talking, realizing that it was me. This was my business. I was about to have the exact same problem. And 
I left the conference right after the session. I flew home. I it was on a Saturday. I, I called my home management team together on Sunday, and we had a meeting discussing this problem. And what we and I, I talked to some advisors and other people. What we decided we needed to do was either a slow way down, and that would mean turning off some of our existing clients or shutting, slowing down the process that we're working with some of our existing clients yeah. or B we had to go out and find an outside investor to bring in some additional capital. And so we didn't want to slow down. We, we felt like that. I mean, I personally felt like that would be failure. Hmm. It just wasn't an option for me. Um, and my team didn't want to either. I had, I had spent a lot of time. We had spent a lot of time building up this culture of growth and innovation and speed and uh, agility and nimbleness and what have you. And it was just kind of the antithesis of who we were. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I couldn't, I couldn't come to terms with slowing down and we wouldn't have had to like slow down a little bit. We would have had to like hit the brakes and I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to do that. I mean, I would have had I needed to, but the option of bringing in some investors seemed like a really kind of exciting thing to do. So we went out, we hired an investment banker um, brought them in. We put together uh, a way to bring in other people. We had a great story. We were super profitable, super growing, great clients. I mean, it was a, a wonderful uh, scenario, but we were against the wall. And so we ended up having a bidding war of multiple buyers that wanted to, uh, or investors, but they all wanted to buy the company. Nobody wanted to just invest a percentage. So we were looking at doing like a leverage recap, selling like 30, mm -hmm. 40%, keeping a majority share, and nobody was interested. And everyone wanted 100% equity, and then they wanted us to have equity in the new company that they purchased it with. And so we did that. We ended up down to, you know, a couple, a couple final, um, uh, people that we were dancing with and we, we chose one and, and we moved forward, but I sold that business and I was not prepared to sell the business. I was not prepared to not be, um, on my own as it were, and to kind of sell my baby. Hmm. And it was, um, it was a hard, hard experience. So leading up to the, the question of what, what did I feel like the day after? Yeah, it was bittersweet. It was bittersweet and probably more bitter than sweet Why because you... it was not about the money. Uh, and there was a lot of money, but um, it was it was scary and I wasn't sure. Uh, I just did it because I, I we needed to do something. And ultimately, hmm. um, it was fine for a little while, um, really. I mean, we were growing and it was exciting and, and what have you. But um, it, it our, the culture of our business changed like almost overnight, the, what I was required to do. I mean, I, I started in, uh, within a few weeks I was in meeting after meeting after meeting talking about what if scenarios and running, you know, statistical analyses of what could happen if this happened versus that. And we stopped being able to do as much focusing on our customers and serving as much as we were focusing on ourselves and being, I, I would say more selfish um, which was just the antithesis again of who we were and it, it crushed me. <laughs> so that is a, so thank you for sharing that. I know it was personal for you. The first time I heard this story, it touched me. It, <laughs> I remember it vividly when you were yeah. saying it. Um, uh, we, we hear this often, uh, which is the, the thin line of planning your exit and keep focusing on your customers. 
like once an owner or an entrepreneur starts thinking of, okay, I need to figure out my exit strategy soon or just to start really implementing it, that takes a lot of your time. That takes a lot yeah, of your it, planning. It does. And we, we, I don't, <laughs> so it took an enormous amount of my time, but I was incredibly cognizant of not losing focus on my customers during that time. Yeah. Um, I know that happens. I think the bigger problem for me was not being prepared myself for an exit. Like it happened, you know, I, it, if you do it the right way, quote unquote, I think you need like a three to five year horizon where not only are you getting all of your ducks in a row inside the business, but you're mentally preparing yourself for exiting the business. And or even if you're staying in the business, mentally preparing yourself for a massive change. And I didn't do that. It was like, it's like jumping into ice cold water and there's this shock. And I just, I don't think I was, I know I wasn't prepared for that. And, you know, if I could go over and do it all again, would I do it the same way? I don't know. I, I would definitely have spent more time preparing. Now I have, I would say 85 to 90% of my friends, colleagues, people that I know that exited a business um, have had a similar experience and ended up in a serious state of depression after that, which I was in for multiple years after I left the company. Yeah. Um, but I will say that there are also some much fewer, you know, that, that 15, 20% that I know, maybe even less that were prepared and they had a plan and they were ready for it. And they, they flourished right after. So I think it's something, you know, if, if anyone is listening to this and they're thinking about an exit plan for the business, there's a lot of mental preparation outside of all the business stuff that you have to do. There's a lot of mental preparation that has to go into it or you're going to, you're going to have this shock that you're just not ready for. How, how was your family through all this? Um, so I got divorced shortly thereafter. Um, I had, you know, young children, so I think it took its toll on all of us, for sure. That um, was a tough time. There is I, a... I literally was paralyzed for about two to two and a half years where I didn't know what to do and I was questioning everything. Like, should I, should I, should I be alive? Should I uh, start another company? Should I go get a job? Should I just retire? Should I, uh, why am I even on the planet? Could I ever do this again? Was it a fluke? Did I really know anything? You know, I mean, all sorts of stuff goes or went through my head anyway. And uh, it was hard. We, uh, so the company becomes your legacy at some point. And, and, and you're right. If, if, if there's no mental preparedness for this, uh, you see your legacy go away. And then you start thinking, yeah, what's I mean, my if, next if, legacy? Well, yeah. And, and worse is when your company is your identity. So... Uh, yeah. Like when people would say, well, what do you do or who are you? I would answer with my company hmm. for years because it was, it was like, you know, well over 50% of my life was my business, you know, and my family was super important and is super important to me. But, but my business, I mean, I was at it every day of the week, sometimes seven days a week. And, uh, and it was, it, I created it from scratch and it was something that I literally was a piece of who I was and I gave that up. Hmm. And I did not have any clue about the ramifications of that. I just didn't know, you know, so it's different. You know, I've, I've invested in other companies. I've started other companies since then and exited them. And it's been a very different experience. This was one that I started 
in my living room as a young guy by myself and grew it and just did all the care and feeding and nurturing. And, and it was literally a piece of who I was in the most literal sense. And, you know, with other businesses that I've sold, not that I don't care about those businesses or my customers as much I do, but I had such a profound experience, learning experience with this other one. I've not put myself in that situation again. And it's, it's sad, but I, I know so many people uh, that have gone through the same experience and, and it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's bittersweet again, you know, you, yeah. you, you get paid a handsome amount of money for it. You've got a lot of success. There's a lot of grateful people for that. You, you're able to share the wealth with and, 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 and help them grow and, and uh, become better and, hmm. and evolve with you. But at the same time, it's it's kind of lonely at the end uh, when you when you go through that experience. So there is a key yeah. word. And, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, and, and I just think you know it's something to to really consider when you're when you're exiting a business. Um, how do you prepare for it mentally for yourself? How do you? I mean, I would say even in, in starting a new business or, or operating a business, mental, the mental game and your your mental preparedness and your your mental agility and and your physical everything, like taking care of yourself, is something that most entrepreneurs forget about. Whether it be you know the health side, physically, uh, mentally, spiritually, whatever the things are that you that you're neglecting, we neglect those as entrepreneurs a lot of the time, do and you, it becomes challenging. Do you meditate yourself now? Yeah, I meditate all the time now, for yeah. sure. I go to the gym three days a week. I have a trainer. I you try and eat more healthily. Uh, you know, hmm. a lot of things are different now, but I wasn't necessarily doing all those things before. There is a key uh, word in the bio on your website that I know you put it there, uh, which is, it says, he has started and successfully exited businesses instead of he has sold businesses. You have, you have chosen correctly the words successfully exited businesses. This is after yeah. 2008, which I, in my head, it summarizes everything that you just told us, how you saw the, the life of an entrepreneur after that, which is it's just yeah. a stage, it's not necessarily your identity anymore. It, it, exactly. Because your, your why becomes much more, oh, for me, my why became much more powerful um, and it wasn't connected to one thing. It was about who I am, what I do, how I show up in the world. And it isn't just one business or one thing. Yeah. Uh, the why being the Simon Zinnick's why we do things, right? Yeah, along yeah. those lines. You know, yeah. it's like, why, wh what is my calling? What, what is my personal mm. mission on this planet? And it is to help entrepreneurs grow and thrive. So I, I spend all of my time working with entrepreneurs, small business owners, coaching them, um, masterminding with them, uh, providing trainings to them, helping them create the levels of freedom, success, contribution that, that they most want. And a lot of times it's even helping them identify what that is first. So we get lost sometimes. So, and, and I'm going to, and, and you have shared a lot of personal stuff right now. And, and I want to ask you one more personal stuff, which I tend to ask every entrepreneur. Uh, but now that you have kind of like reflected a little bit, I think it's the right moment. Um, how do you teach your children about money? Because you have it. Um, that's a great question. Um, I think I'm still figuring that out. <laughs> yeah, it's not a, it's not something that I've solved uh, per se. But you know, my kids, uh, I think I want my kids to see hard work. I want them to see uh, commitment. I want them to see us creating value. Um, they work for, <laughs> they have allowances. They work for uh, rewards. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting. Like my kids, uh, and I, I 
I like to think it has something to do with me, but my kids are very entrepreneurial <laughs> in spirit as well. You know, I went to back to school night um, just, uh, I don't know, several months ago. Yeah. And my older son, he's uh, going to be 11 in a couple of weeks. You know, he's, uh, he was 10 and he, you know, he's like, look, I want to, it said like, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he, you know, he wrote down like, I want to own my own business and be an entrepreneur. And he, I, it was the cutest way he spelled entrepreneur. I couldn't do it now because it was so wrong, but, um, kind of like but, me as a foreigner. Thinking that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah. He, he's thinking about those kinds of things and he thinks about different kinds of businesses and ways to create and solve and innovate and, and what have you. And I just, I believe entrepreneurship is the future for, <laughs> the world you know so so i was chatting with our mutual friend uh, david whale uh, not long ago and, uh, i love dave yeah and, and we were chatting we we're talking about this specific question and he was like no i mean i i, I want him to 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 learn to save to prepare for the future uh and then he gave like i mean a very very solid five minute explanation of it and he closed it you know what I take all that back. I want them to just pursue their dreams, be entrepreneurs. And I'm like, it's tough, right? It's, it's a tough decision because you know it's very risky. And, and, and statistically, not a lot of people make it. Yeah, I mean, what is risky though? I mean, I think- Yeah, versus happiness, right? Putting yourself, putting yourself in, a, in a place where you don't have freedom, where you feel stifled, where you're not able to innovate, where you're, you're stuck, um, is that risky? No, I think I, that's risky. That, you know, I agree. I, mean, I remember one of the things I used to say to clients. I mean, my clients now are entrepreneurs and small business owners. You know, upwards of you know zero to fifty, sixty, even a hundred million. Yeah. But not large corporations for the most part. My clients previous, we were large corporations, and when we would talk to them about you know innovation and creating you know a brand that is future focused, like what do you want your customers to think about as they move forward? What does the relationship with your customers look like two, three, four, five, ten years from now? So they can start really thinking bigger and not just be working on what they're working on today, but you have to be thinking about tomorrow. Hmm. And one of the things they, they would say, well, you know, it's, it's risky. And I said, well, okay. I said, but is it not also risky to not think about that and to not be innovating? Because what happens when all your competitors do? And hmm. so the riskier decision could be staying the course and not shaking it up a little bit. How, and uh... I think... I think that's important to consider. I mean, I think, you know, my risk tolerance has changed. You know, when I, when I had no real money or, or no, I had no kids, I had no family, you know, uh, no immediate family. Like I didn't have a wife, I didn't have kids. Um, I, I could do anything, right? It didn't really matter. It was just me. I, I was now like, I am more conscious of taking risks in a different way than I used to be. Yeah, I, I was oh, I mean, just going to ask you that because the risk tolerance, even as a business owner, changes. And it for sure is, is very marked in your career that after the first sale of the company, your strategy of just approaching an investment in a new company or starting a new company completely changed. How have your planning financially changed for that? So I'm a scrappy startup entrepreneur. I am not a <laughs> put tons and tons of money into something. I like to be scrappy. Okay. So like, I don't think I've changed a lot in the way I approach things because I think if you put a lot of money at something, you'll spend it and you might not necessarily get the best results. So I like to, I like to think of it as if I was just starting from scratch, I didn't have a ton of money. What would I do? How would I do it? Lean startup kind of methodology and hmm. build, even if, you know, you mentioned before a, a service business versus manufacturing or something. I kind of believe in, in creating a minimum viable product, whether it's a service or a product or anything yeah. and not, you know, not spending 
you know, years developing something or hundreds or thousands or millions of dollars developing something because, you know, you, you get so attached to it. You try and make it so perfect. You never get it out. You never get it resolved. And um, I just don't believe in that, that approach. Hmm. So I'm pretty much a scrappy startup guy. No matter what, you know, it doesn't matter if I have a million dollars or five dollars. I'm going to approach it as if, you know, I, I have no money. This is the product. This is the service. This is who the, the customer, the persona of who I want to serve is. What do they want most? What do they need? What's happening in their world? What are the challenges? What's keeping them up at night? And really innovate and solve the problem or create the opportunity that I want to create. And then look at the different ways I could go about doing it. Awesome. I mean, listen, if, if it needs money, I'll put money at it. But um, but more often than not, the money part gets in the way. It's like, <laughs> in, in my opinion, in my experience. So I, I, that's not to say I don't invest in businesses. I do. But but I, I don't want to start from a pile of, hey, here's a million dollar budget. Let's figure out what to do with it. It's like, what does it need to be? What does it need to look like? How do we test it? How do we prototype it? How do we get it out there? And then, and then what do we need to do to take it to the next level? And it's, I think it's just a different way of looking at it than, than some people look at it. And I think there's a lot of people that look at it the way I do as well. And I, I've just found a lot more success with, with the way I'm thinking about it. Who, and it's a little less painful. <laughs> who is, uh, it, it, in, I mean, obviously talking about this particular aspect of your life, which is starting new businesses, who's your most trusted advisor right now? Or has been through this second stage of entrepreneurship, which is... Uh, creating uh, other types of businesses. Who is your trusted advisor? Yeah, some people say they're lawyers, some people say they're partners, some people say they're parents, some people say they're wealth managers. I have no idea. Yeah, definitely not any lawyers. Um, no offense to any lawyers on the call <laughs> listening to this. But yeah, yeah no. Um, so I have a network of people that I consider mentors and advisors and friends and what have you. I'm in a couple of different mastermind programs mm -hmm. and um, I, I have just a network of amazing close friends that are uh, that have had uh, phenomenal success in business. And depending on what it is, I talk to different people. Um, mm -hmm. I do have a business partner, uh, Drew, who's been um, uh, we've been best friends since we're five years old. Our joke is that it's the longest, most successful relationship either of us has had. And, uh, and so I, you know, we grew up together, we went to school together. We went to that camp together. We were both in theater together. Oh, so, wow. um, yeah, so we have a, you know, we can finish one another's sentences. So we definitely talk a lot. I mean, I talk to him every day of my life for the most part, but, uh, and, and we go through certain things together. Um, we also both go to other people in our networks to get questions answered to support where we're at. And, um, so I, you know, I think that the, the people you surround yourself with are, it's one of the most important things as an entrepreneur. Yeah. And I will tell you that over the years, the people that I surround myself with has changed dramatically. Hmm. Um, you know, and so I think it's important to really curate that, that close group of people around you that you can use. And sometimes it's not even advising, it's just listening. That's more important for me anyway, just letting, letting me talk it through and, and listen to what I have to say. And, and sometimes it's advice. Sometimes it's experience sharing, you know, through hmm. a, like an EO gestalt methodology. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so awesome. I, I really, I lean on my mastermind quite a bit and, uh, it's probably the best investment I've ever made in my life. And, uh, that speaks really cheap, highly. Yeah, I mean they're they're amazing people and they have amazing insight. And frankly, coaching entrepreneurs has been tremendous for me too because I learned so much 
as I, as I coach. I mean, I've had a lot of success. I bring a lot of value when I coach, but I also learn when I'm doing it. And I, and I think it's important. So, um, I'm sorry. It wasn't like a, there's one person. answer. No, no, but no. It, no it, that's exactly the, you know, what I was looking important. for. It's like, who do you rely on for this? Uh, because this is tough and advice. I, yeah. There was a great question. And I, I do not remember who asked this question. I think it might've been Jim Collins when I heard him speak, the author of good to great and built to last. Yep. And, um, and I think it was him that said, like, you know, if you had a, if you were uh, overboard on a on a big ship and you had a lifeboat, what five people would you want in your lifeboat with you? Yeah. <laughs> and you know that question was profound when I was asked it probably in two thousand and five, two thousand and six, and that changed my trajectory then. And I constantly think about that. And I ask that question to other people. And I kind of pay it forward, if you will, by asking that question because I think if you think about who you surround yourself with. It's so important. You know, we spend so much time at work and so much time with certain friends. And sometimes we get stuck in uh, close relationships that are that we've outgrown. You know, I don't want to sound like negative, not like I just, you know, leave it or abandon people. But at the same time, like the people that I spend the most time with, I choose. Yeah. I choose that and I choose it somewhat deliberately. Yeah, it's a choice. Yeah. 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 No. I mean, so, you're talking to somebody that that had to migrate countries, and 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 we always struggle with that connection between your old friends and the new friends, and and which ones are better. But in reality, there's not such a an answer as better. It's such as a added value to my current life. And and I I take yeah. the, I take the same approach. It doesn't mean you don't love other people. It just means adding oh, value. Of course you do, yeah. and you care about them, and whatever you know. And I and I call my inner circle my chosen family. Right. And I have a chosen family and I have my actual family and they're both great. They're oh, both man. great. They're and, both important. You know? um, I, so I, we're, we're heading to the end of this, uh, of this hour. Thank you. I, I, we really, really appreciate your time. But um, I have two questions or, or two areas that I want to talk with you. And one is about happiness. We, we definitely talk a lot about happiness with everybody that we have the opportunity with. Um, and the easiest question to start this is, what's your current definition of happiness? But I kind of want to change it for you, which is how it has it changed through your life? Um, so that's a really good question. Um, happiness, you know, to me, uh, it, it's, it's tied to freedom of choice in a, in a way. Uh, still like I, I, I find that when I'm free, I'm happier. Um, and I believe it's, you know, it's like joy, like having joy in your life and, you know, playing with my children, uh, makes me happy. I'm joyful when I'm there watching them grow and develop, um, helping entrepreneurs and, and coaching them, uh, brings me happiness. Um, spending time doing those kinds of things, um, are just all amazing. Hmm. And, uh, and, um, so, but, you know, I, I think, um, it, there's, there's a balance, uh, in my life that I have now that I didn't always have. And it's not a perfect 50, 50 balance, uh, which I thought I used to believe like people say, Oh, you have to have a balanced life that it was like 50% personal, 50% work or work, you know, some close derivation of that. And to me, it's like, things just have to be in balance. They have to balance out over a reasonable period of time. And so as I, you know, I, I work hard, I play hard, you know, and I, I find ways to, 
you know, to balance things out. So if I'm working like crazy for a, a month on a big project or, or on something that's going on, I have to find ways to balance that out. And, and my happiness is tied to that balance. Um, hmm. And so, so for to, me, to, it's... To, to, let, me pick, let me push on that. On the ability to have the balance or when it balances on one side compared to the other one, you become less happy. No, but knowing that I'm balancing it, like having that balance and that being control. clear, like uh, having some control over it. Yeah, for I sure. See. Yeah. Um, uh, I find that to be, it helps me. Awesome. Uh, for sure. Have you read the book, and, of, the, the book of Joy from uh, the week that um, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu spent a week together a couple of years ago and, and it's the first time they met <laughs> and, uh, and, and they talk about the difference between what you are saying, which is happiness and joy. Uh, yeah. and, and joy being more a permanent thing than happiness. Yeah, and, and I think um, I've not read the book. I know of the book. Mm. Um, it's, it's on my list. <laughs> uh, don't worry. List. <laughs> <laughs> I could give but, you a few. But I, yeah, yeah I, well, I'd love it. I, 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 love, I love reading, and mm. I, I think it's one of the – that's another thing that, that brings me joy is reading and learning. Um, awesome. So I, I, to me, as an entrepreneur, like I'm happier – when I'm in momentum, when I'm moving forward. And You're so happy. I try and keep always moving forward. I think momentum is a big key to happiness for entrepreneurs <laughs> and not feeling stuck or paralyzed or trapped. I and think, that's kind of what I mean by freedom, you know? I think you just named the episode. <laughs> I'm happier when I'm in momentum. <laughs> um, so uh, it, I'll just take a 10% royalty for that. Oh, no man, the entrepreneur. <laughs> you're not the first one that has said that, actually. <laughs> uh, I guess it's entrepreneurship mine. Um, uh, I, I tend to give a, a little bit of space to everybody that is uh, on the show to say thank you to a couple of people. Uh, the first time I asked this question, I said, oh, if you want to say thank you to one person, and it became really obvious that that was impossible. So... I just said, if, if you want to say thank you to anybody that has helped you through your through your entrepreneurship life or a couple of people or three of whatever you want, uh, this is the time. And um, we're going to make sure that those people get to know that. Uh, could, you, could you repeat that? Yeah, yeah. So... We're, we usually give this like last segment of the of the show for the guest speaker to say thank you to somebody or to some people that have helped them or mentored them through their life, and or mark them, and um, we uh, we just it's a free space for you to to say that, and uh, we are gonna make sure that that person hears this. Sure. Well, um, there's a long list, so. Um, <laughs> Okay. So it's a lot of work for you to, to get it to everybody. But, you know, obviously my family uh, is, is very important to me and, and my friends and my, my children have definitely inspired me and taught me and helped me. Um, the probably, you know, uh, organizations that I've been involved in, the strategic coach, uh, Dan Sullivan, personally, has been an amazing um, mentor and, and probably single-handedly changed my life. Mm. Um uh, EO has definitely, uh, a major influence in my life. Um, I'm in, uh, different groups with the genius network, uh, with Joe Polish has definitely impacted me and changed my life. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm in a mastermind called the platinum plus mastermind with Jeff Walker and a whole host of amazing, amazing entrepreneurs. Um, all of these people have literally uh, changed my life and touched me in some amazing way. And, uh, yeah, have just, uh, been phenomenal. Awesome. So, 
Yeah, uh, a big thank you to all of those people and and anyone and everyone I forgot to mention in this. Awesome. But, uh, yeah, it's a it's a journey, and you know you you need a lot of people on your team and to be there to support you as an entrepreneur. And hmm. you know I've been really lucky to have uh, an amazing amazing uh, roster of people that have been uh, with me, and, and all my employees and all my companies as well uh, have just been truly amazing, and uh, wouldn't have been able to do anything I did without them. So. Yeah. Thank you for asking that question. It's really, uh, really a great question. Um, Jason, uh, I could, I cannot thank you enough. I know you're a super busy guy. Uh, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm thankful. It's an honor to talk to you every time, or at least it's the second time. <laughs> so it's been an honor twice. And, um, hopefully we, we get to cross paths another time, uh, even here in our company, because uh, we think we can definitely use your help. Um, so thank you for your time. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jordy, for yeah. involving me and uh, look forward to spending more time together. Once again, I want to thank Jason for his time and um, opening up the way he did through the conversation. Uh, but to be honest, he opens like that with everyone, uh, which is what makes him so special to talk chat to chat with. Um, please share the episode with your friends. Uh, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Facebook. Um, I am Jordy Miller. We are Lexington Wealth Management. And until next time, have a great day. Oh,